I'm back. So many things. Uh, it's just been an amazing week. I got to check off a huge thing on my bucket list. I almost climbed a mountain. I did climb a mountain and didn't reach the top. I don't know how you want to slice this, but I got within a thousand feet of a summit of a 14,000 foot mountain, which is huge for me because I'm scared of heights, but something I've always wanted to do just like hike into the back country, camp for a few days, do a ton of hiking, climb something tall. Um, it was cool. It was amazing. I'm super grateful to my friends that went with me. Uh, saw a couple shows at Red Rocks. Just a good summer vacation that I needed to have happen, and it was perfect. So I hope that you've done something awesome this summer. I hope that you look at that bucket list and you mark something off of it, whether it's making something new, experiencing something new, going somewhere new, doing something you've done before that you really enjoy. I don't, I, I, I don't make your bucket list, but start checking stuff off of it because you don't want to be racing at the very end trying to get everything done. Am I right? Okay. Side note. So, um, summertime. It is uh, beautiful outside. I'm definitely going to be doing more camping. We have some really cool interviews lined up over the, the next couple months. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And just like being out, seeing people, talking to people, it's time to start thinking about live shows. So you should send me your suggestion for who I should have on as a guest for a live show. There's still a ton of details. Where would I do a live show? How would a live show work? Do I bring Aaron back for a live show? Quick answer, yes. Um, so yeah, things to think about, but I'm excited about it. So that being said, pause for a second. Let's thank our patrons who keep this show going and have for years. First off, thank you Kathy, Cindy, Brian, Chelsea, Jesse, Travis, Tyler, and Brian. Um, there's, of course, many more people that support us on patreon.com forward slash look what I did. Be sure to follow us on instagram.com forward slash LWID project and uh, Facebook as well. Today, this episode is Mr. Tyler Eck. I uh, actually talked to him right before I left for Colorado. Um, so if you listen all the way to the end of the episode, you'll hear what my favorite road trip song is. So... Uh, yeah, listen for that. You'll either like me more or never want to talk to me again. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, Tyler's super awesome, owner of Honed In. Um, it was cool to hear kind of how he envisions growing the business, how he got into the business, uh, how COVID affected his business. Um, just super creative in, in the way he thinks about expanding it. Um, a, a real, like, go-getter, but also, like really relaxed um just a, a really fun guy to hang out with so I actually in this episode <laughs> I invite him to a cigar night that I have um and Tyler I, I assume you'll listen to at least the intro so I'm serious um but I'll, I'll I'll give you a call or something and and have you over and hang out because you were just so much fun to hang out with so uh yeah everybody sit back enjoy um just a fun easygoing conversation with uh hopefully my future friend mr tyler enjoy
Okay. Uh, let's start with who you are and what you do. Okay. My name's Tyler Eck, and I own Honed In Sharpening. And I sharpen knives, scissors, shears, clippers, lawn and garden tools, just about anything that cuts. I, and I know when I reached out to you, you were like, I don't know why anybody would be interested in this to just sharpen stuff. But I personally am fascinated by sharpening things. Um, but I think the thing that actually like really stood out to me was it's not a business that you hear about. People do like I never think about taking my stuff somewhere to sharpen or a mobile service coming to me to sharpen. Yeah. And you showed me like the trailer and um, some different techniques and tools that you have in there. But one thing that you mentioned was like doing clippers for vet clinics or whatever. Like, and that makes sense, right? Like you're almost like the snap on truck for, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you just drive up and, um, but I think based on a post I read, that's a newer, is that a newer business for you or was it the sheer, like barber shears are newer? Well, they kind of went hand in hand. Um, initially I thought I couldn't do shears unless I also did clippers. But once I started doing shears and not so many clippers, I learned that that wasn't the case, but I just wanted to be prepared. Like I didn't want to go into a shop and say, I want to do this part of your tool set, but not the other tool set. I just wanted to be able to do it all. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that to me kind of makes sense, right? You can go to a store and, or a storefront of some kind and like do most of what they have there and, and come to them. And that makes sense. That's easier. But uh, before we get there, walk me through how you get to this point that this is the business that you're, you're doing. Like, did, I mean, I, I could be wrong. I don't imagine a lot of people are 20 or whatever at some point in their lives. And they're like, you know, I'm going to open a mobile sharpening service. Like, how did you get to that? So I didn't, I wasn't the brainchild of Honed In. I was just the first employee. Um, I just happened to be like fresh out of college and hated my first job out of college, which was in hazardous waste here locally. And so I like had a brand new baby at home and felt like every day I was coming home just absolutely glowing. And so I hated it and I just was like willing to take my first opportunity that wasn't that. And so Honed In was actually owned and operated by another company called Food Loops. And Food Loops is still going today. They, um, I know Michael Krauss. Yeah, that's who yeah. interviewed me for Honed In. Honed In is his thing? No, hon Michael works for Honed In, and Honed In was one of his projects that he was hired or charged with. And oh, so he was, you know. This is a direct extension of him sitting in front of the food co-op and sharpening knives in the like window of the, like there was a little doorway to yeah. the meeting room. Honed in is a direct thing. Yeah, that was honed in. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So Michael was on not that long ago, actually, for food loops. And then yeah. this is a very tiny, I have used honed in services pre you one time because he broke one of my hand planes and had to resharpen it. Oh. <laughs> so, uh. Michael visited the um, hazardous waste facility where I was at. He was, I think he had maybe just bought a new home and was re renovating it. And yeah. Had uh, like been scraping paint off the walls and needed a place to dispose of his nasty paint thinner, paint stripper stuff. And okay. I was the guy that took it from him. And he had like a, maybe a sticker on his car and it said something about food loops or maybe he said something about food loops. And I had just gotten out of school for a soil science degree and I heard about food loops and I'm like, sign me up. How do I go save the world and wear a cape and be gainfully employed doing it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, um, he said, well, we're not really hiring for food loops, but we have this other opportunity right now. Um, sharpening knives. 
and I hated my job so much. I'm like, I'll do it. I want it. And so before they, they even offered me an interview, I just quit. I quit the, the hazardous waste facility. I was just like, I'm done here. Children, um, don't try this at home. But yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> it's, do you, children. Yeah. Do you. Is all I you believed say. in yourself enough that yeah. you knew you would make it work. And so um, I got out of there. And then within a couple weeks, they offered me an interview. And it was the first time in an interview where I'd like pulled a pocket knife out of my pocket and started, you know, like playing with it, you know, and showing them it and like opening it and, you know, talking about a, a knife right there on the table. Um, I think that really won them over. I talked about, you know, like some of the chemistry and material composition um, aspects of that knife. But um, they hired me as the only employee of Honed In, like the, the lead sharpener. And so um, I got to learn about all the equipment and make safe um, practices within our shop and learn like what our standards were going to be. And I just took honed in really to heart. Like that's as refined and as perfect and as good as you can make something. And so that's where I wanted our standards of sharpening to be. Yeah. And it was, it didn't start mobile. So were you, no, we were initially in the eight street market. Okay. Up in yep. Bentonville. Yep. And I commuted there and um, it stayed there until I became the owner. I moved it from the 8th Street. So you're the person that made it mobile, though. Nope. Uh, well, I, I didn't make it mobile, but initially I moved it to Prairie Grove, and I had a downtown storefront there. Okay. Um, at first, I was in the back of a flea market, and then eventually I moved up to the front of the flea market, like had a big picture window with my logo and stuff in it. And then the pandemic hit, and I was just like paying rent on a building that I couldn't even work in. Yeah. And so that's, I'd already been thinking up a mobile aspect of it because a lot of sharpeners just around the country, they're either mobile and want brick and mortar or they're brick and mortar and they want to go mobile. And so I wanted both. I wanted to have like a mobile arm of my storefront that could be, you know, utilized once a week if I right. wanted to. But the pandemic hit and I just loaded up everything in my store and bolted it down in my trailer and it's kind of been there ever since. That's so it, it's weird. Like, I don't remember how I came across you initially. It may have been somehow like it was Instagram, I think is how I kind of, but like would sort of follow some of that. Cause I, I think I knew the eight street market thing. Now that I think back on it, then I definitely caught up to, and then Aaron who used to co-host the show, like I think has used your services a couple times. And so that's how like mentally I made the jump to Prairie Grove and I, I, di I didn't catch like where the trailer came into there, but that's interesting how um, COVID has affected like so many businesses in these different ways that are like unexpected twists mm -hmm. and turns. And like, would you, would you look back at that now and say like, this actually pushed me into like a better version of the business or like, do you, are you looking at going back to a storefront at some point as well? I mean, I definitely want to grow into a storefront, but I would say that the changes that the pandemic forced upon honed in we were able to benefit from. Yeah. Like, um, initially, like I didn't have the, the trailer built out at first. And so like everything was just kind of sitting out back here in the shop and I was still not taking in any money and people were asking me like, Hey, how do you, how do I get sharp? And I had also thought of the locker system for the storefront. Cause I wasn't always in, um, that flea market when it, when it was open. Right. And so like, cause it would be open on weekends and on Sundays and people would bring stuff in. So I wanted a locker system so like I could accept things and not have to be there. And so I just put that locker outside and 
whenever the pandemic first started. And so then before the mobile aspect was up and running, I had this Dropbox to where people could come drop off things on a contactless, self-serve type setting right? and, and um, get sharp. So that's something, like, as you were talking, I think about these services that, like, make sense, you need them, but you don't see them very often. And the one that came to mind immediately was, like, a cobbler, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's a service you need, or a tailor for that matter, but you just, like, there's maybe one cobbler in your town, if any at all. Um, and then sharpening services seem even less than like where do people typically go i literally cannot think of another business that's a standalone sharpening service i can't Um, not one that without you know mentioning one of my competitors um many of my competitors don't even have a name to their business or a listing to their business they're just doing out of their home for like or out of their vein cash or whatever yeah got it and so i i think that they're just trying to fly under the radar right um that raises all kinds of bells to me because why wouldn't you want to be why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want your work to be notable right why right. wouldn't you want like somebody be able to come find you like, yeah i, I want to <laughs> you want to grow business and yeah. draw people in because i i mean i think back to my childhood and like my dad was the one person in the family unit right like extended family that seemed to be able to sharpen stuff and could get you know, pretty good edge on everything and had his little Arkansas, like try stone. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. um, but anytime he would go to somebody's house, like he's always sharpening, like his mother-in-law's kitchen knives or brother-in-law's pocket. Right. Like he, like that to me was kind of how knife sharpening was done occurred. Right. Like it's just, it's kind of like, well, somebody in the family can kind of do it or, you know, a guy that maybe can kind of do it. Yeah. Somebody Um, in the neighborhood. Yeah. I just had never thought of it as like a service, that one that you would even like necessarily need to pay for right you know like and you'd see your grandpa out like on a grinder wheel like trying to get the saw blade like for your or not saw blade the lawnmower blade right mm-hmm. like um but then i started getting into woodworking and you know you'd get like hand planes or you get turning tools and then it becomes this much much more you realize how sloppy that knife sharpening that your dad did likely was no offense dad but like it's not a razor sharp edge that you need for a hand plane right and then you start getting into turning tools and you start to get these like curves with an angle and Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden like that tri-stone solution isn't gonna i don't even know how you do it right absolutely yeah um and so then that started to open my eyes to like oh there is this there's this need but it seems really niche right like Mm -hmm. how do you how is it broad enough? But then I ran into you yesterday at the farmer's market and it was like, I just stopped to say hi and it was a nonstop yeah. Yeah. loop of people coming in. Um, do you like, do you think it's one of those things that like, if I build it, they will come type deal? Like I didn't know I need the service, but now that I know it exists and I've had a sharp knife and I see how much better it is when I'm cutting a steak or I'm right. Like yeah. whatever the thing is that people see the value. And so they just, like come to it now that they know it's there? Is that how you think that works? I don't really know how it works. I mean, I just know that what works. And for me, um, like if I was at the farmer's market once a month or every other week, it wouldn't work as well. Being there every day where, you know, where somebody has a dull knife in their drawer and they think, oh yeah, I'm going to the farmer's market today. Oh yeah, honed in will be there. Oh yeah, I got it. Because my first few weeks there, it I didn't have anything for people to buy. People had to bring me things. Right. And so it's just a, 
an odd business to <laughs> when you get, say it that way yeah like, to wrangle your stuff <laughs> because i don't have tomatoes there to sell i don't have plants there to sell right. it's just you have to bring me something so i can offer you my services and then you can pay me and the fact that that happens and as regularly as it does i'm still blown away by it um like how you know an elderly lady will just walk through a crowd of people with garden loppers right yeah and, and just know that i'm there and that she's comfortable doing that and that that didn't happen five years ago yeah you know, it, it's such a cool i mean it was neat to watch the interaction and like there was a familiarity and it, you know I, I, it makes sense it's a repeat customer base yeah. right like they're gonna come back over and over um I, one of my philosophies as a business owner um and that repeat customer um, I heard once that it's best to have 100 loyal customers than a thousand kind of wishy-washy customers. 100% agree. And I, I didn't believe that at first. Like whenever I first heard that, I'm like, I wish I could have a hundred customers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A <laughs> hundred would be better than 10. Yeah. And then like, I, I really tried to make every client interaction or every customer interaction just as wholesome and as honest and as worthwhile for both of us as I could. And it, it's really paid off dividends, like in dollars and cents and in repeat customers and in relationships and, and just so many different ways. A hundred percent. I, so I think the other aspect to this and hopefully I'm not putting it on the spot, but like, because, you know, you showed me some sharpening we've talked through, I've, I told you before, like I have an interest in it because of the woodworking stuff or whatever, but, um, you really notice like, and it sounds dumb saying this out loud now that I'm thinking about it, but the precision that goes into getting a really, really good edge and an understanding of, um, we were talking about, you know, angles for the, the actual like edge itself. And, um, so to get around that, because I think sharpening services are not super common, you can walk into Walmart and buy something for $10, right. That you can just pull your knife through and you have a course and a fine, or you can spend $300 getting a thing that looks like a 1980s, like VCR rewinder, mm -hmm. like motor, right. Like, um, those pro I'm assuming probably get you like good enough, right? Like, yeah. What's what, what do you think the, what is the added benefit of getting something like hand sharpened as opposed to using one of those kind of like anybody can do it tools, right? I wish we had a tomato in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> You'd show me the difference. Yeah, it's just it's just the feel. It's just the pleasure of something working as good as it can. Right. I mean, whenever you get a knife or a pair of scissors from the factory, they specialize in manufacturing scissors and maximizing their profit. Right. They do not specialize in apex geometry and you know material refinement and you know what polishing compound is going to give you the absolute best cutting that's just not what they do and yeah. so whenever you you know bring that item or to me um i have better sharpening equipment than most factories do and so like if you go to buy a you know a, even a 150 dollar kitchen knife which is a you know any name any name brand knife that's what they're about right what yeah cost. um It'll be sharp. It'll be, you know, what I call cheeseburger sharp. It'll cut through a cheeseburger. But uh, I don't know. Let me sharpen a knife for you, and let us let me tell you about the one-hand-behind-your-back tomato test. I guarantee you that a factory brand-new knife can't do the one-hand-behind-your-back tomato yeah, test. Yeah, no, that's – well, and as you were talking, I was like, that being said, 
it's also one tool designed to do like a fairly generic thing. That's yeah. the average of yeah. right. Like, cause even your kitchen knives don't have the exact same blade geometry, one type of knife to the next. Um, and I still don't know how on earth I would sharpen my bread knife. Like, <laughs> right. I feel like that's a file or something, but, uh, yeah. So it, it like, I guess through that it's like, yeah, we walked into your trailer and you have all these specialized pieces of equipment that do very, like, I didn't know you could sharpen clipper blades. Honestly, to me, I really thought that was like a throwaway thing at the end of it. Like, I guess I just buy a new one. Nor did you know that there's a spring tensioner or a spring test tension tester to, I mean, we don't have to point out everything I didn't know, but yeah, no, there's a ton that I know you're a hundred percent right. Like, I don't know. That's cool for me too, because every day there's a new tool or a new aspect where I can increase, you know, my skill or my level of service where whether I you know make that tool myself or I go out and find somebody that's manufacturing the the tool that I need yeah um, and also just learning about the needs of my clients is pretty dang cool too like I'm not a I'm not a stylist I'm not a barber but the difference between you know, like cutting wet hair and dry hair or slide cutting and not slide cutting like I love to learn about that kind of yeah stuff. so you're learning a ton of stuff as you go so you can make it the best for that client as Absolutely. possible. Yeah. That's super cool. Have, I, I know that sometimes like, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, oh, my scissors are getting less sharp. And so you go on YouTube and you find, well, if I fold foil seven times and cut through it, supposedly that makes it better. And I think it does put a little bit of a burr on it because no, no. they do feel a little tighter no. sometimes. And I tell myself it cuts better, but no foil doesn't work. Are you debunking YouTube right now? I mean, it, that kind of stuff is what, inside jokes inside my trailer are made out of so okay if you well, want to, i've never done that obviously yeah. i don't know <laughs> I'll, I'll talk behind you about your background yeah. sharpen your scissors so i talked to this daniel guy and he definitely uses foil sometimes on his scissors no i i didn't know i honestly didn't you know but you see people trying to solve this problem because it is a problem right like scissors can be extremely expensive not even like barber's shears or right like i mean you can just get yeah. like Grandma's fabric scissors. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Fabric scissors are actually a really good example. Super expensive. Yeah. And what do you do? And if there's not honed in in your area, is that disposable now? Like, and that starts making me think all the times maybe I've gotten rid of something because in my head, I didn't think there was a way mm-hmm. of coming back. Also, how often should we sharpen our lawnmower blades? At I least, feel like people never sharpen them. No, at least twice a season. You're supposed to look at your grass, and if you like the top blades of your grass are like kind of feathered and turning white, um, it's time to sharpen those blades. Hmm. Well, you may get some business from me. It's <laughs> like I just realized I've never done this. Yeah, because most people like I don't do they just buy new lawnmower blades? Some like people, yeah. How right? Like, and so you think about. I think it's the same thing as a cobbler. Like, you're a great thing you're doing. This is showing us that like we complain, I think sometimes about like the disposable aspect of like the economy or things that are manufactured. They just don't make them like they used to. But I think that being said, in fairness, we don't, our mentality isn't the same of how do I extend the life of this thing and resole my favorite pair of shoes or sharpen the lawnmower, right? Like we make it a disposable sure. economy. And I, that's a, line that's hard to cross sometimes i mean especially for me because i want to take your money but at the same time if it's going to cost the exact same for me to sharpen it as for you to replace it and it's not that good of quality item anyways and it's you know maybe a, it, i don't mind telling you yeah go go buy a new one right because some i guess some if you get a, a cheaper metal 
knife, putting in that, it's not going to hold that edge for as long. And then yeah. that's going to reflect poorly on you, right? Because I'm like, well, I just got the sharpened a week ago. And well, it's not that, like, I mean, is that a concern that you have or no? No, no I mean, the quality of metal is never a concern of mine. I mean, you get what you pay for in that aspect. And I'll, anything will sharpen to an apex, but how long it will hold the edge is all about the quality of the metal and what you're cutting. And right. so, well, do you tell people that though when you give them the knife back? You're like, so this is only going to stay sharp, like, not necessarily. You know, I mean, of course, you don't know how often they use it either. So, yeah. And I don't know if they're, they could be at home trying to chop up bowling balls for all I know. (laughs) My dad is famous for breaking knives. Like, he way overuses them in the wrong, like, circumstances all the time. And, uh, yep, he's really rough on them. Yeah. But, uh, so you, and then we talked a little bit, like, you, your mentality seems to be, um, very kind of like I don't want to say homesteader, but like you like this idea of like making something the best that it can be, extending the life of that thing. And then, you know, I'm out here hanging out with you. Thanks for inviting me, by the way. It's the yeah. first time I've been to somebody's location in a while, but like you're on this um farm, is that fair to say? Yeah. Like in so you're also like you showed me all the vegetables you guys are growing and these trees that are here, like um is that like kind of how like who you are as a person like drove you to this or have you just found yourself in this place and it's kind of like feeding this new idea like you know you talked about food loops and kind of like that i think it's more serendipitous because i've always been around tools i've always been around agriculture or farms um i've always you know my mom always had a garden and planted trees as i was a kid so i i kind of find it like kind of serendipitous that I ended up here, that my business ended up here. Um, I'm just lucky. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just lucky. Um, I've always like my dad made knives as a kid, as a, you know, whenever I was a kid as a hobbyist. And so I'd always, you know, want to, you know, learn from him and see what he's doing. And he sharpened knives and had a very nice knife sharpener that we'd put up on the kitchen table as a kid. And you know, those are some of my, you know, best memories with my dad. But I've always been around him and my tool or his tools and, you know, really saw that, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so we always had to take care of what we had. Um, always had to make it as care for it like it was new, even right. if it was 30 years old. And so that kind of has always been with me. And whenever I take somebody's item, I try to care for it better than they ever do yeah and um try to make it better than it ever was or um like somebody will give me an, an old pocket knife and i you know want to lubricate that pivot point just right just because i know it needs it um and sometimes i'll tell them that i did it and sometimes i won't i'll just hand it back to them this seems so much better than it was i think we we've talked about this a lot in previous over the years i think but like there's a I would argue a benefit to being in a situation where you can't just go out and replace something because you have to, you know, my dad was a maintenance man, right? Like, I mean, literally what he did, but then also you couldn't hire somebody to repair the fan. You just had to do it yourself, right? You had to like figure, there are some weird fixes in some places, right? Like you've had the thing where it's like, I don't know how long that duct tape's going to hold, but he was pretty good at it. And so I was around tools as well and like change your own oil or tires, like easy, low level maintenance, right? You wouldn't even call it mechanic stuff, but in that same boat of I've got to somehow extend this thing 
for as long as I can because I can't I can't replace it. And I think there's a gift there because you start to understand like how things work and mm-hmm. appreciate craftsmanship and, and that right, kind of like, that kind of do it yourself culture is um, very very um, prominent in my family. Yeah, like uh, just last weekend, shout out to my brother in law Ivan who just showed up on the spot and changed the AC compressor in my truck right there in the campground. Nice. You know, just that's kind of how my family works where we, you don't necessarily hire it out. Right. Um, you do it yourself um, if you can. And so like when it came to the build out to my trailer, like I didn't really know there's nobody in town that I could um, that advertises, you know, here, let me hook up your inverter for you or build you a battery bank or, you know, attach these cabinets securely to your trailer so you know that they won't go sliding <laughs> around. Fly around the back. Yeah. And uh, that kind of DIY culture in my family really, really um, rubbed off on me, and I'm thankful yeah. for it. Well, and YouTube really helped too, right? Like I would – Yeah. Because you're trying to find books for how to – I'm just going to assume I'm older than you. So I was trying to find books pre-Google to figure out how to do a thing, but then YouTube comes along. It's like now I can literally do – Anything anything like there's some stuff where you need specialized tools or it really is like too dangerous or outside your skill set right but a lot mm-hmm. of stuff it's like oh i can change this bearing bearing yeah. or yeah. right like whatever the thing is or try to learn how to sharpen right yeah. like you know watching these youtube videos so and, and and then those are popular because i think the culture of do it yourself has grown in popularity over the last 10 years um but it's interesting to see, I think sometimes you can see the people that like grew up, it wasn't a culture, right? Like mm-hmm. my dad wasn't a maker. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was just the guy that was building a bed frame because we couldn't afford to buy a bed frame, right? Sure. Like, so two by fours were cheaper. Um, and you yeah. just have this kind of like, uh, I, I think it's cool to see like that hands-on because I think there's a lot of value in it to see that become a little more like culturally broad that people are interested in like. But right now, just as a, side tangent related to sharpening that that is despised in sharpening like just to go learn how to do something new on youtube oh i shouldn't do that no i meant as a professional sharpener that is despised among other professional sharpeners like you should go get hands-on training oh yeah i'm kind of middle of the road on that like sometimes yeah you do need hands-on training but sometimes you don't have hands-on training sometimes you just have to figure it out yeah i mean what what are the opportunities right like exactly i think apprenticeship or hands-on training really, really shortens the learning curve. Absolutely. Quite a bit. Something that can just be there and say, no, that angle's not quite right, or feel this, or you showed me like, hey, this light, like we're going to use that to look at the edge of the blade and you can see the burr there. Um, That stuff that like, how many YouTube videos before that gets brought up? Or like, how long am I standing there trying to see what on earth they were referring to in the video that I couldn't write? Like Mm -hmm. I think about welding a lot where they're like, and this little thing, I'm like, I can't, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so apprenticeship, I almost wish there was a place that was like a, a maker space that wasn't so much about like, you can come use this equipment as much as you can come, get somebody like guiding you through using sure. this equipment. I don't know if that's how the Fayetteville makerspace works or if it's even open now post COVID. Have you ever been there? No, but I've heard about it, which I just want to say that if you are a professional in your industry, you should definitely take on an apprentice. You get, you have no idea like how much it will benefit your industry. Like, yeah, there, there's one thing to like go out and train your competition, but 
if you're secure in your industry and you can offer somebody a leg up, do it. It will pay off dividends. I, I agree with you 100% because I think there's two things. One, yeah, maybe it's your competition, but all that or grows to become your competition, right? You see that in the tattoo world kind of a lot. Of, mm-hmm. I mean, why else are they apprenticing for you? Um, but it also builds a bond because you're the teacher. It drives your business because what are you doing to differentiate yourself from the up and coming? And, mm-hmm. and they may come up with innovative things that drive you to figure out new solutions as well. But two, there's almost no better education than teaching somebody else some right like you always learn something for yourself yeah. like oh i'm like having articulated this i see this or i yeah. right like so i don't see how it hurts but i see people all the time that are scared of well i don't want to contribute to exactly and it i don't get that i don't get that mindset where they're not willing to contribute where they're not willing to help somebody yeah it just it'd be different if somebody came in like established they're ready to open a business and they're just like spying on you to see sure. whatever even then if it happens like I would still argue the you know, maybe one person sharpens slightly better than the next. I don't know if most customers would necessarily know like nope. that particular level of refinement, but what they will know is the customer interaction, mm-hmm. the convenience, the pricing, right? Like those things are all in like, but people are willing to pay premium prices even. So you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a drive to the bottom on cost as long as the other components are in place, right? Yeah. Which is still, I come back to your customer service and customer interaction. I was just like, I stood there for a while, probably creepily, like just like listening to you talk and just interact with people. It was like, this is very like, like it just had this, like, obviously it's a community. I can't think of a good word here, but it had a very like kind of community feel to it. Like you were like, it just felt like you were at like an old timey shop where like the person knows your name and like what you need. And it just had that warmth to it that I think you don't, necessarily get sometimes in other businesses but you're also one of the few or you know the only one i know of um so you are kind of like probably hoarding all that business for yourself but (laughs) i i do miss like the downtown shop aspect of it and i'd say that the farmer's market is the closest thing i get to it to where like folks will just come up and say you know well i was thinking about you and so i wanted to show you this knife no don't sharpen it i just wanted to show it to you and that's fine like i love talking about stuff like that and it it's super homey and super folksy and i feel like it it drives the culture of our area or drives the community anyways yeah is there have you ever considered like doing not even clap like you because you could almost at the farmer's market do like a little like here's how to sharpen a knife on a whetstone type thing for maybe not kids but like right like i thought about doing like knife skills at the knife skills yeah like knife throwing and no (laughs) like how to hold a chef's knife properly and how to you know julienne a carrot and how to mince an onion do you have a do you have a cooking background no well well, kind of i worked in a few kitchens whenever i was a so i mean you you, you've been in a you've been a line cook or whatever at some point in your life right yeah yeah but i'm I don't consider myself. I mean, I will also show up for that class because I'm sure I'm not holding my knives right when I'm cooking in the kitchen. Sure, but I don't even want to teach it. I just want to host it. Oh, you want to have somebody else come in like as part of the... there's much better teachers than myself for that. I just want to host it. There's got to be somebody in the area that would be like a local chef person that would be willing to show up. I know of a few, but just all logistics and stuff. (laughs) It's all the timing and planning and doing what... Are you going to the the hammer-in in September that... It's like in Gentry, I think. I might. I'd like to. Um, 
whenever I had the retail shop in Prairie Grove, I was really, really into handmade knives. I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I still am, but um, I would um, like curate a selection of handmade Did knives. Did Alan sell stuff there for a while? Yeah. Yeah. Alan's a great guy. Yeah. And so I'd um, like get to curate a selection of handmade knives from area makers and I'd sell them on consignment. And that was one of the cooler things I, I miss about my job um, or about my um, retail storefront. And uh, like I, I got to meet guys like Alan and Garrett Polk and all different kinds of makers and they're just wealth of knowledge. Um, because if I ever had a question about abrasives or polishing compounds or they were wonderful people to, yeah. to hit up and ask. Well, those guys are all, okay. So I don't know Garrett, like his brother or I believe it's his brother, maybe brother-in-law. No, it's gotta be his brother, uh, comes to my cigar night, like pretty much every Monday and Alan comes over, but like, um, you know, Alan is a good knife sharpener like those knife makers tend to be pretty good at putting an edge on their knives as well anyway and so being able to share that information back and forth and learn from mm-hmm. some other people i can see being beneficial but also the symbiosis of that relationship of alan can't pack a whole store with knives right he doesn't have enough to fill a whole store so he's not going to pay for a retail space it's probably hard to find a retail space that like square footage makes sense for just sharpening things right Mm -hmm. and have that storefront so that like really does make sense to blend those two things together and give a storefront to it i wish i'd been able to make it before i'm just too lazy it's my fault that's uh (laughs) whenever like we had our grand opening at 8th street market we had alan up there and he did a demonstration on uh silver inlay oh yeah yeah right there he's he's good at it yeah yeah i wish we could would have done a hundred more of those well and that's where a retail storefront would kind of offer that like right there there's your cutting class or mm-hmm. like or knife handling skills um you could do i don't i don't know if you necessarily want somebody forging a knife but like from a knife blank right like yeah. shape something in, in a storefront probably maybe there's still a lot of yeah a lot of heat a lot of sparks uh, yeah a lot there, there's still a lot there but i don't know maybe you could do something i you, want a two by 72 grinder one day but i can't justify packing that up in my trailer right now it's a it's a lot of space i I finally got one i will say it is a uh, i think i'd burn my trailer down (laughs) i don't think you'd burn your trailer down i i don't know those things will melt an axe in a second well just steel line your trailer so that it doesn't catch on fire and then i think you're good yep um what so what like so you are going back into a retail storefront you think at some point if i continue growing that's like my dream version of my business is where um like honed in offers sharpening for every industry whether it's um surgical i don't do a lot of surgical now i'd like to grow into that i don't do a lot of dental sharpening now i'd like to grow into that as well um i'd say the industry i'm growing into the fastest now is the salon and barbershop industry right and then um which are popping up all over like there's so many like barbershop barbershops specifically just seem to like have really blossomed in the last six to eight years. And so, so are independently owned salons. I mean, they're, they're both growing crazily fast. Yeah. Um, and, and that's wonderful. There's such a cool aspect of culture that happens inside a salon or inside a barbershop. Everyone that you walk into, I mean, everyone that I walk into is different. And so just like, just the vibe that I walk into is, every, you know, multiple times a day is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's that, edgy barbershop or the the folksy barbershop or the um you know new edge 
you know, blonding salon. Well, or it's the, like a, it's kind of a, you feel like you're like where you get your hair done or cut or whatever is like kind of a reflection of who you, right? Like absolutely. it's like your cigar club or whatever. Like this is like, well, if I hang out in this area, like I, I kind of want to be perceived this way or I feel I'm perceived this, like I go to Old Wolf, um, yeah. like back in Evelyn Hills. I sharpen there. It's, oh, do you? Yeah. Like I've just known Ike for a really long time and he opened the shop and I was like, all right, like I'm going to go, you know, and at the time I had a beard and the person I went to wasn't really a beard person. Um, and you just walk in and it like, it reminds me so much of like the skate shop I used to manage and like all of the people that work there have been customers of mine at some point or another. So it has this very like, yeah, cozy feel. And I just like the decor and mm-hmm. the music selection, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're hundred percent right. Like they are their own little communities yeah. that kind of appear. Talon's Instagram feed. Yeah. <laughs> Talon used to come to the cigar night a long time ago, too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we may have to have you over. Do you do cigars? We can I do pipe. Uh, ooh, we do pipes as well. We got a uh, Bripes not too long ago. I don't know what that is. So uh, it looks like paraphernalia, but it's not. It's like a copper pipe that you put coffee grounds in and then using a butane lighter, heat it up to like 195, 192, whatever, right? And then through a filter, sip out an espresso shot. Liquid? Mm-hmm. So you does you put coffee, coffee grounds and pour water in. Oh, and then just I heat it up. The water yeah, I left the water out. Yeah, okay. so we, yeah, water are we melting there. coffee grounds? Or? No, no, no. Yeah, so it's just this like to go espresso, and it's marketed as like a camping thing. And I was like, there's no way I would bring this much. Like my base weight is like eight and a half pounds, nine pounds, right? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not adding this entire science kit to get an espresso shot at the end hmm. of the day. Yeah, I'll try that. But yeah, so uh, tobacco pipes are. Do you frequent open door? Um, not super often. I used to be a member of the Good Life Cigar Lounge in Rogers. Like that was the first real one in the area that I was aware of. Cool. And so I was actually a member there. And at the time I worked up there and then quit working up there. So the drive made less sense. And then he eventually closed up shop and I just never quite got back into the like open door is cool, right? Sure. I like the whole like hidden door thing into the lounge. I know a bunch Too of people Too many that cocktails you get lost in there. Yeah, <laughs> that's very real, very true. Um, I've been there a few times, but I don't smoke cigars that every, often. Every yeah. yeah, it's like once a week for me, if that, maybe every couple weeks. And then I've been doing this Monday night thing fairly consistently for like 10 years. Um, and that's just kind of my little like spot, right? But cool. Cool. we'll sometimes get together and make a cigar box guitars or Alan's is the farthest along. I got sidetracked and <laughs> haven't finished mine yet, but we'll just like craft stuff in the shop or whatever and just hang out and smoke cigars. So I'll send you an invite sometime. You yeah. can come hang out with the guys and uh, we'll do it. Sit around and smoke pipes and cigars and build random things or not build random things. Yeah. And there's food involved. So that's always good. Right on. Um, so what, what's your like, what's your downtime? Like, what do you do just kind of to unwind? Cause I feel like a lot of the things you do are actually pretty meditative. Like I feel like sharpening is a kind of meditative task yeah. and like, um, you know, the farm ha- has some meditative elements to it. Right. Like, so to me, the things that I might do to unwind are the thing you're doing. So what is like your downtime look like? Um, raising a kid. Um, that's full time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, joint custody. So whenever she's here, it's basically all all that we do is just hang out. We'll we'll farm together. We'll go on bike rides together. But um, like I'm either sharpening and you know laboring on this farm whenever she's not here, or right. I'm 
like laboring with her on this farm and just hanging out with her. So like we'll go on bike rides and um, go to the movies and things like that. Um, whenever I'm like alone, bacheloring it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, live music. Um, Where do you go for shows right now? Um, George's. I go to George's. Always good shows. Travis yeah. is a great booking. I, I've always wanted to um, check out the Prairie Street Live venue i haven't checked that out yet i haven't been there for music but evan one of the guys that is an owner there mm -hmm. super super great guy and I, I went there not too long ago it's just an awesome space yeah. yeah i've been in the bar i haven't been i guess out back in the venue got it um i like to go to festivals when i can like camping music festivals like out at the out the farm in eureka or hillbury on, yeah or on, uh, mulberry mountain have you gone to hillbury yeah it's wonderful. You might talk me into going again. I can't go this year. I'll be somewhere else. But yeah. I went one time. I was like, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like the person I went with was super, super hyper. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it, that's a cool place. And like, sure is. Yeah. Like they had music classes. So you could go learn how to play an instrument if you do or don't have that instrument. And there's constant music all the time. Trampled by Turtles played the year I went. And yeah. they were fantastic. Were you there that year? I may have been. Could have been friends earlier. And it's a, yeah. And there was nobody at the, sh like, it was raining, so there weren't a lot of people, so you were right up front. And I love Trampled by Turtles. Yeah. It was, yeah, that's a great venue. I love Trampled, too. Place. Uh, in a previous life, I got to uh, interview like, Devil Makes Three before they got famous. And uh, I never got to interview Trampled. I wish I did. But, uh, because you were a DJ. Yeah, at, K, at uh, KXUA at the University yeah. of Arkansas. I had like a reggae show and a jam band show one year. It was a wonderful experience. That is, I, I always thought about being, so oddly that led to the podcast, right? Like hmm. growing up, I um, worked fast food a lot and I was the sample guy. Like I would stand out front and like, do you want to try a sample of my Quiznos sandwich? Whatever. And uh, somebody came by and they were like, you know, you like you have a pretty good radio voice, like would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, maybe, and talked to him a little bit. And it was a country music station. I was like, no, no, no that's not like, I don't care. Right. So yeah. I, I don't know, but it always stuck in my head is like, do I have a good radio voice? And so when I finally discovered podcasts, I was like, I think I have a good speaking voice. Like maybe I could do this thing, but I've always secretly wanted to be a DJ. And cause it just like, there was that heyday period of time where DJs almost were more, of a draw to the station than the music that it played, sure. right? Like yeah. late nineties, early two thousands. You're like, I'm going to listen to Tyler Eck now because it's his time to be on the yeah. air. Um, or Bailey and right. Three B though, that group, yeah. like, um, and you, like in your head, DJs are these huge celebrities that like, and they really do determine like you're determining so much of what people think sure. is popular because that repetition tells me this is, the thing I should be listening to. Right. And so mm -hmm. like you have a lot of control in your hands as a DJ. Did you ever feel the weight of that responsibility <laughs> or did you even think about it? I felt the responsibility of like how I could affect someone's day with the music that I played or like how I described the music. Like if I'm going to play, cause there you're tasked with like one rotation set a week. And so you'd have to go in there and you'd have to play rotation music. And that's like new things that are coming in that are selected and organized that you have to play so many times an hour. Right. And so I didn't necessarily like everything that I played. And so like, um, just how you presented the material could have a 
very different effect on how it was received. Oh, for sure. Did it, did that? Whoa! Did that impact your view of music? In like, did you find yourself liking a broader range of things Absolutely. than when you went in, or yeah, like resentful you, towards stuff? No, like uh, pop music. I was never a fan of pop music, but through that rotation, um, there was a few artists that came on there that were like Euro pop, and I was like, oh, that's that's pretty catchy. I like that. What's the one that surprised you the most? A pop person that you were just like, I never thought I would like this, but I really like this. Her name's Oland. Okay. And there's a song called Wolf and I. It's pretty, pretty cool. I'm going to have to check this out yeah. later. I, I just have had to admit since I was younger that like I have a sweet tooth for pop music. And it, like it's not, it's not the entree. It's not the thing that I really love. But you get a, I really like Mbop by Hanson. Not even kidding. Like oh, you went there. <laughs> I think it's a really fun road trip song. I understand. I've lost all credibility with everybody around me, but nothing makes you more like, like it's just a windows down. Sure. Sun shining desert road driving too fast song, right? Like it just has that energy to it. And I like that. Is it the greatest song in the world? No. Would I suggest it as representative of what I like? Also, no. But I like candy bars sometimes, and yeah. Mbop is a candy bar. Yeah, they're little morsels of goodness, I guess. <laughs> but I like how you're really struggling to even make eye contact anymore. You're like, nope, this is over. Yeah, we're done. You mentioned Hanson; it's over. Well, I'm older than you, and so you know that has a thing. And my maybe, I don't know how I can defend that. Actually. My opinion of Hanson is the best thing that they've ever done is their beer. Ooh, they have a beer. Mm, hops. I mean, without Mbop, you don't have Mhop, so I think you have to give credit where credit's due. I think you circled that back around. Good job, me. <laughs> if I still drink, I would totally try Mhops. And then there's like a Star Trek beer now. Like, how come all this creative stuff's coming out as I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Just ask him, do you got an old duel version? Yeah, I need the 0.0 Mhop. I need the original Anson, like, age group beer. Yeah. Uh, the, well, one of them's a really good guitar player. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, like I, I saw a video with him and some other people. Um, and it, like he's well respected in the like guitar player community. As I mean, if you think about it, the guy he's been playing since he was like 13 years old. So 25 <laughs> years later or whatever, like, okay, yeah, you probably developed some skill over the time. Sure. Um, and not that they, I mean, I think they started with some anyway, but yeah, anyway, I'm sorry that I've ruined this budding friendship with my Mbop admis, admission, but you know, was, I was okay. just going to be honest and put myself out there. It's okay. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> as much as it hurts. No, but uh, yeah, I, I've always wondered if like, if I played music over and over, if there would be a part of me that's like, I don't even want to listen to this when I go home like you kind of fall in that thing right of like the mechanics car is never the best running one right because they just don't want to do it or i don't know how sharp your knives are my sharps in the my my knives in the kitchen are terrible right now right because you don't like that you don't want to do it then nope. right and so i i always kind of saw that as a potential downside of djing of like would i ever listen to music for pleasure anymore you know like just turn off the lights put headphones on and just lay there and listen to it, like which is one of my favorite things to do. Well, I was a DJ for a few years, and I didn't stop listening to music. I think I listen to more. Yeah, definitely listen to more. But you had a um, maybe like a switch in your head to where like it was just kind of on in the background, and you didn't necessarily put your entire conscience towards it. And then there are times that you did. And right. So with music, I think it's easier to do that. With sharpening, you can't like just kind of sharpen with it in the back of your conscience and not really think about Without it. Without losing a finger. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like it would be a bad. But, but it's like if your job is, 
you know, DJing music, it's, you know, easy to turn that switch off. I guess that's fair. Uh, so I took us down a huge rabbit trail. I'm going to ask another uh, sharpening question because I think this is pertinent. How do I know as a consumer or as a, as a knife user, like when it's time to bring that knife blade in, if it's not at one of those obvious, like, oh, there's a, a ding in the blade or like it's just literally not cutting anymore. Like, w- do you think it's like a weekly buy or not buy, probably not weekly, but is it like a cadence to you or is there a time when like I should be able to tell as a, like a user of a knife, hey, this one's starting to get a little more dull than it should. Because I think there's a big window between super sharp and then can't yeah. cut, right? Yeah, it's all about personal standard. I mean, how yeah. how sharp do you want your knives? Um, so I, I always ask, do you hone? Do you hone your knives? No. You should hone your knives. So if you hone your knives, you should sharpen your knives every six months. If you don't hone your knives every three months. Got it. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um, Because a sharp knife is safer than a dull knife. Yeah. And if you really, really like that knife, it is better to keep it really, really sharp because less material is removed over time. Like if you make that edge just dull as can be, a lot of grinding has to take place to get back that that perfect apex. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. All right. So I'm going to start a sentence. And you finish it with whatever comes to mind. Oh, goodness. There's no wrong answers. I forgot to ask what the rules were about cussing. Uh, We try to keep it family friendly. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. I wish I could. Can we start over? (laughs) I wish I could. Um, Go to Red Rocks. That's where I'm going on Sunday. Yeah. You can just hop in the car. Yeah. The last time I went to Colorado, I just hopped in the car. So, I mean, I'm going to listen to Mbop for at least like two hours of that nope. trip. But I think otherwise, like if it's the price you're willing to pay, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Um, have you been to Red Rocks ever? No, never. Well, I drove by it in the dark and they told me I was there, but I couldn't really see it. You've got to go to a show there at some time. Trampled by Turtles in Camp is still general admission for Thursday. Wow. Yeah. So just saying. Just hmm. saying. Man, I really appreciate you letting me come to the farm, showing me some stuff in the trailer, spending time educating me on something that I like probably know just enough to be annoying with the questions and uh, hanging out with me for a little while. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, you weren't annoying at all. It was, it was great explaining it. And sometimes people just don't take an interest in it. And I understand it's technical and complicated. Like whenever you're sitting there trying to give somebody a haircut and some doofus is trying to tell you about your ride line, you just want them to go away. But uh, thanks for talking to me about it. I, I like talking about it. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And I know we didn't get into the detail a whole, whole lot, but there's so much to learn in the world of sharpening. And I think, like, I don't know where to start, right? Like, in trying to educate somebody that, especially something that's visual that it's hard to, like, share over a podcast. But um, I think people should definitely absolutely use your services because I've seen the results and they're fantastic and far better than anything you're going to get at home from any tool you can buy for your home unless you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars, right, Um, per type of blade you're trying to sharpen. So, But I really appreciate it, and happy 4th of July. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Yeah. Look What I Did is produced by Aaron Dotson and Daniel Quinn. Sound designed by Daniel Quinn. Our digital director is Heather Kelly.